As soon as you finish your bunks, I want you two to clean the head. I want that head so sanitary and squared away that the Virgin Mary herself would be proud to go in there and take a dump. And hello, and thank you for downloading, streaming, however you do it, the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, episode number 34, and this is Sean. Uh, I was about to say your host, but obviously you know that if you're listening to my voice, right? Who else would you be hearing from other than the host? I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how these things work. It's just, hey, here's my podcast, listen or don't listen. Anywho, um, wow, two, it's, I can't believe it's already been two weeks since, uh, the previous episode just flew by. I am recording this on Tuesday, April 17th, uh, just on the edge of Midwest gaming classic. So of course you're going to hear me babble about that for a little bit. Those of you not in the know, Midwest gaming classic is probably the second biggest gaming convention in the United States, possibly the biggest now, judging from what I saw. But then again, I have not yet been to Portland Retro Gaming Expo, so I can't really say for sure. (laughs) But yeah, it was pretty honking huge this year. The past at least two years, I went in 2016 and 2017. It was at a hotel in Brookfield, Wisconsin, which is a Milwaukee suburb. And Midwest Gaming Classic literally outgrew that hotel. I mean, it was to the point where the vendor hall was literally outside in a huge tent. And uh, it's a good thing that wasn't the case this year. This year it was at Wisconsin Center, which is the largest convention hall in the state of Wisconsin. And it was just super crazy this year because we had an unexpected extended winter In the springtime, in the middle of April, it's supposed to be nice, maybe 50 degrees, somewhere in the 50s at least. So my wife and I left for Milwaukee probably about 6 o'clock central time. We left our home in Chicago. I had been outside already. I had been out. I went out to take a lunch break. I worked from home so we could just take off as soon as my wife got home. I worked from home, took a lunch break, and I went uh, to our local Vienna beef stand. Uh, I should give them a little plug. They're called Patio Beef, and they are located at uh, Broadway and Norwood on the north side of Chicago. Excellent place. Very homey little place run by family. Rode my bike over there, and the weather was pretty tolerable. It was chilly, but tolerable. You know, just needed a hoodie. Had to go to the grocery store to get a few items. Again, chilly, but nothing intolerable. Just a hoodie is all I needed. So my wife got home. We loaded up the car, still hoodie weather. So I get in the car and it's just too warm for me. So I take the hoodie off. We drive up to Milwaukee and uh, we pull up to the hotel and I step out and I was freezing. And all I could think was really. And from then on, the weather just got crazy. It, It snowed and the Wow, I got to say this though. Milwaukee has terrible snow issues, at least compared to Chicago, at least judging from what I saw. It snows in Chicago, the streets are clear, at least the main streets, the arterial streets as they call them. All the streets downtown, they'll be cleared right away, they're taken care of. Milwaukee though, the Milwaukee the snow control is terrible. 
terrible. There's no, they don't, they didn't plow until probably Monday. And it was, it was just nuts. There were people who ended up not going to Midwest gaming classic because of the weather though. They said, yeah, I know I paid for my ticket, but I can't risk my life going through it. And one of those people actually was Clark Otto, many of whose games I've talked about here on this podcast. And not only that, but he was going to be debuting some new titles. And I was kind of looking forward to that. But what can you do? Uh, It was almost a near disaster for me, too, because like I said in previous episodes, I was there for Pie Factory podcast, my other podcast. I get there. Jim had already set up his stuff and then taken off, so he didn't have to deal with uh, additional per-hour parking. So I was there setting up my stuff and plugged everything in, arranged everything on the table, flipped the power strip on, and everything turned on except my Atari 7800. And, of course, I went into panic mode. I tried moving stuff around, unplugging stuff from the power supply, putting things in different outlets, still nothing. And I just sat there for a minute and just kind of thought for a second and just mindlessly just flipped the on-off switch on the 7800, and I saw a red light, and I got really excited, and then it went out. So it appeared that I had a power supply problem, and uh, again, I was still in panic mode. Now, they put Pie Factory, in fact, they put a lot of podcasts in the vendor hall this year. I guess they were supposed to have a podcast room, but that didn't end up happening because uh, Bill from Atari Bytes, uh, he was set up actually just right behind us, actually, and uh, it was big honor and pleasure to uh, meet him and his family and uh, get to talk with them. You know, we got to hang out since they were in close proximity. Uh, there were a couple of other podcasts uh, that they were, I hadn't really heard of before. If I can remember, I'll give them a shout out, of course, but uh, they were also in the vendor hall, even though none of us was actually selling anything. There were other vendors setting up, and a lot of a lot of vendors were already completely set up. They were just basically re- ready to go whenever people were starting to come in, which wouldn't be until the next morning, of course. But I was walking around, looking around, and uh, I went to one general classic games vendor they had a lot of atari stuff so i asked i said hey do you have an atari 7800 power supply and the guy said well i i don't know i don't know what those look like i said you know what i'll bring you one right now so you can see what it looks like so i ran over grabbed mine went back to his table he looked through his box he said yeah we don't have anything like that so i posted a desperate i i started posting some desperation posts i guess i went to atari age in the midwest gaming classic thread and said, hey, if anybody's going and can bring and can lend or sell me a Atari 7800 power supply, I, you'll be, you, I will be forever grateful. I made a similar post on Midwest Gaming Classics Facebook page and on my own Facebook timeline. Well, turns out that uh, longtime friend of the show, personal friend, and uh, of not only this podcast, but also Pie Factory podcast, uh, Keith Sheehan, he said, "Hey, I'll bring mine, and uh, you can you can borrow mine." And so, he basically saved the weekend for me. <laughs> he brought his on Saturday. He was only going to be staying Saturday. I said, "Hey, can we just drop this off at your house afterwards?" And he said, "Sure." Basically, Jim is in close proximity to Keith's house on his way home, the the route that he takes. But uh, I wasn't. But it turns out that Jim didn't want to. He just wanted to get home because of the weather when he left Sunday night. So Keith said, you know, if you just want to send it to me, that's fine. So thank you, Keith. And actually, my power supply, just for laughs, 
when I got back to the vendor hall about uh, probably about 8.30 on Saturday morning, I picked up the power strip, put it on the table, and turned the power strip on. And just for laughs, I hit the on-off button on my 7800, and it turned on and stayed on. So it turns out that it's it looks like it's it's right where the brick meets the cable on the power supply that's not in good shape. So um, for all practical purposes, my 7800 power supply is as good as dead. I have another one. I have at least one other one from another 7800 I use as a backup, but uh, this means I got to get another power supply, so I'm going to be doing that. Uh, but it was a crazy weekend. And what else can I say other than that? It was a great time. I'm really excited about next year. And what really struck me is that there's little to no Atari 7800 representation there. I did see a vendor with a box full of unopened ball blazer cartridges for $30 each, which personally to me, I don't see as a really outrageous price for ball blazer, given how rare those things are increasingly becoming because of their pokey chips. But a still sealed ball blazer for 30 bucks, I think that's a good deal personally. I saw that, and um, I've mentioned several times on this podcast Guys, Games, and Beer. They had an amazing 1,500 square foot setup uh, in their own room on the second floor of the convention center, and they usually have all kinds of consoles and computers out for gaming purposes. And they had a 7800 out with uh, light gun games, but I think that was all the 7800 representation I saw outside of our table. So it's just, I thought it was kind of sad to see that there's not much 7800 representation. I imagine at Portland Retro Gaming Expo there is, especially because Atari Age goes to that. They used to go to Midwest Gaming Classic. They don't know. They don't go anymore. Uh, Albert says it's because of the distance, but of course I question that because I'm pretty sure Milwaukee is closer to uh, Austin, Texas than Portland is. But hey, I, I don't know. And of course, the white elephant that I probably should say something about, yeah, uh, about maybe a week, if not, maybe not even that long ago, people who know anything about Billy Mitchell heard that he was banned from Twin Galaxies and all of his scores were wiped out, kind of like with what happened with Todd Rogers not too long ago. And those of you who know a little bit of the story, but don't know why, don't know what happened. Uh, here's basically kind of a Reader's Digest spark notes kind of uh, thing, at least as I understand it. First of all, Twin Galaxies has a, currently has a very strict no-cheating policy. If they th have reason to believe that you cheated, all your scores are removed and you're banned for life. That's all there is to it, period. Probably about a year ago, Twin Galaxies added a dispute feature to their scoreboard where if you see a score and you don't think that it's legitimate, you could click the dispute button and present your case. And what I understand is that at least one of Billy Mitchell's Donkey Kong scores, he did not have the world record, by the way. He, he hasn't had the world record on uh, Donkey Kong in a long time. But somebody disputed one of his Donkey Kong scores, and the reason for the dispute of that is... They watched the video that he had submitted. Billy had said that the videotapes of Donkey Kong that he submitted over the years were basically direct feeds straight from a Donkey Kong machine, meaning that the Donkey Kong arcade cabinet was wired 
so that you could directly record the video onto a videotape or other recording device, as opposed to doing what people usually would with video submissions and just point a camcorder at the monitor. Well, there were some folks who examined those videos and thought, wait a minute, this can't be a direct feed, this must be from MAME, the multiple arcade machine emulator you can run off of uh, most computers. And the reason that people were saying that is because they slowed down the video and they saw that the way that Billy's Donkey Kong screens were rendering is that certain objects were rendering at a time. Like, for example, you might see all the girders render, and then you'll see all the ladders render, and then maybe you'll see Mario render, etc. Like, little bits and pieces will render at different times, but an actual arcade machine it doesn't render like that. The entire screen renders at once from the left all the way to the right, kind of like, like a, in a wave, I guess. So they found that Billy Mitchell's submitted videos rendered as if it were MAME and not as if it were a Donkey Kong cabinet. So I guess, long story short, people involved in Twin Galaxies dispute resolution agreed and said, yeah, this is a legitimate dispute. We're going to take out all of Billy Mitchell's records. And I think adding to the suspicion of it was that Billy Mitchell's videos showed him scoring a million points and higher, something that he would never be able to do in person. No one has ever seen him do it in person. Whenever he did it during a live contest, he always reached somewhere in the 900,000s, but never quite made it to a million and I think another sticking point with these videos was that he was getting a highly unusual number of blue barrels. And hammering blue barrels in Donkey Kong is worth more than hammering the non-blue barrels, as it were. Off the top of my head, I don't remember if they're red or yellow or what, or orange. So that kind of led to some suspicion that he was maybe using MAME and using save states in MAME. Those of you who aren't terribly familiar with MAME, or any other emulator, really, there is a thing called a save state, which is basically in the middle of the game, you can hit a button, it'll save your game in progress so you can resume it later. So people think that he was using save states to manipulate his score. My personal opinion, I honestly, I really, I, I really don't have one. I try to stay away from this uh, pro-Billy, anti-Billy thing that's going on. It's so divisive, probably even more than politics, really. All I can say is my personal experiences with Billy Mitchell, and that includes at Midwest Gaming Classic. He was actually at Midwest Gaming Classic this past weekend, and I thought that was, I thought for sure that maybe he would, that he would not want to make a personal appearance anywhere so soon after this controversy. He issued a statement that didn't really, in my personal opinion, didn't really say much in any direction. He it didn't seem that he was saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent or yeah, I'm guilty. He didn't seem to say either one. It was just more of a non-statement as far as I'm concerned. But I will tell you this. I did get to talk to Billy Mitchell and for more details, listen to our Pie Factory podcast episode about Midwest Gaming Classic, but sitting and talking with Billy. All I could think was the guy was being, at least when I was talking to him, he was not being the least bit egotistical at all, at all. Like he has a reputation, that, that reputation follows him everywhere, that he's a big egomaniac. He didn't seem to be that way at all. He seemed to be actually kind of humble, and he had nothing but nice things to say about the gaming community in general. And uh, 
and that really stuck out for me. Uh, I had met Billy briefly uh, in 2016 at Underground Retrocade, actually, and he was a little bit more energetic, I would say. Uh, I wouldn't say egotistical, but he was basically putting on the Billy Mitchell show, and and I mean that in a good way. He was he, he was a really nice guy then, and he was a really nice guy, at least with me at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. That's all I can say about him. I don't know how he is in his personal life. I'm not going to get involved in this whole, Billy is a cheater, oh, Billy was uh, framed, or whatever. I'm not going to get involved in all that. I'm just presenting my observations and whatever else you have. There are some other um, video game hotshots, as it were. Uh, Walter Day was at Midwest Gaming Classic, complete in his referee shirt, of course. Got to talk to him, too. And third time that I got to talk to Walter, actually, and every single time, I th- this one thought just kept going through my mind. Wow, what a nice guy. <laughs> he, he seriously, Seriously, if you get a chance to talk to Walter Day, he just seems like, Seriously, just a genuinely really nice guy. Just someone you're glad to talk to. Uh, I met Marty Goldberg briefly. Uh, and uh, who else? Tim Lapatino, the author of Art of Atari. He signed my copy of the book for me. And uh, he and I talked Chicago for a few minutes. But then I realized, man, I can't stay here for that long. I have to go back to the table. <laughs> oh, boy. But oh God, what else was there? David Crane and uh, Gary Kitchen were there. But unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see them or meet them or anything. Uh, but it was seriously a really good event, at least from what I could see. And I was kind of at a, I don't know. It's, it was fun being there as uh, an exhibitor, a vendor, however you want to call me, even though I wasn't selling anything. <laughs> But at the same time, you don't really get to see the whole show. So there was a lot that I missed. I didn't get to the big giant arcade. They always have this huge arcade with the uh, arcade cabinets for sale. That I usually uh, like to take a walk around. I didn't get to do that this time. But apparently there was a lot of new pinball out there that people were just absolutely loving. But uh, you know what? I'm just going to cut it short right here about uh, Midwest Gaming Classic and just get right on to the topic of today's episode and uh oh one other thing i should mention is i mentioned before uh that there was a new version of clark otto's franco dragon made and that was called pickles eats everything there was exactly one copy made and that was made specifically for thanatos as a christmas present based after his beagle named pickles i think his wife had that commission for him well he was at midwest gaming classic and he uh he let me see the game. It's the way I see it is uh, pickles eats everything is basically fast food or sick pickles, either one of those, except you're controlling a beagle head and you just eat everything except the purple pickles. So that was it. It was a very colorful. It was uh, actually probably the most colorful Clark Auto game I've seen so far. So uh, Thanatos, if you're uh, listening, uh, thank you for letting me uh, get a look at that. But that's all I'm going to say about Midwest Gaming Classic for now. Maybe a year from now, I'll talk about it more. (laughs) But I want to get into the topic of today's episode. And for the first time, I'm doing an episode on something that I have had absolutely zero experience with. I've never seen this in person. I've never seen it in action. So it basically required a lot of research on my part, and I hope I'm getting it right. And I am specifically talking about the Cuzzle Cart 2. 
Before I even get into the Cuddle Cart 2 or any Cuddle Cart, really, I should talk about Shell's Electronics. It's S-C-H-E-L-L. And uh, Shell's Electronics was started and run and basically everything really done by Chad Shell, if I'm not mistaken. His first product was not a Cuddle Cart, wasn't even for an Atari, but it was the IntelliCart, which was marketed as the Intellivision Cartridge Emulator. The IntelliCart was released in 2000, and it was a uh, Intellivision cartridge with a 9-pin port that you would connect to a PC via a serial cable. Remember having those things? Well, with the IntelliCart, you'd start up the Intellivision with the IntelliCart inserted in the cartridge slot, and you would have it connected to a PC. Then you would upload an Intellivision ROM to the IntelliCart, and assuming successful transmission of the game ROM, the Intellivision would restart, and then it would play that game. And it was compatible with almost all Intellivision games. The next product that Chad released was the Cuddle Cart in 2001. And the Cuddle Cart was an Atari 2600 cartridge, and it worked similarly to the IntelliCart. But unlike with the IntelliCart, you would load a ROM via an audio cable with a 1/8 inch connector. And it works just like the Starpath or Arcadia Supercharger in that you actually play an audio recording to transfer the ROM over. In fact, uh, when the Cuddle Cart was in development, it was called the Super Duper Charger. And what could you use as an audio source? Well, anything, really. A tape, a CD, computer sound card, whatever. In fact, the Cuddle Cart is fully compatible with the Supercharger. And because it was kind of sort of made with the supercharger in mind if you bought the cuddle cart you would also get a cd call that stella gets a new brain or as by notes for the episode say stella gets a new brian and uh, that cd contained the entire collection of starpath supercharger games fully licensed from bridgestone media who at least at the time owned the rights to the supercharger game uh, i don't know if they still do i don't know if they still make that cd but uh that's what it was. It was basically the entire Supercharger collection. Also included with the Cuddle Cart was Windows-based software that would allow you to convert 2600 ROMs to WAVE audio format. It would work with ROMs up to 64 kilobytes in size, and just about every 2600 game worked with the Cuddle Cart, with the exception of Pitfall 2, and of course, long-time Die-hard Atari fans know why. Those of you who don't know why, it's simply because the Pitfall 2 has an extra chip in it, a custom chip designed by David Crane, I believe, that uh, was only on Pitfall 2, and it's hard to emulate. The price for the entire package, the entire Cuddle Cart package, was $100. There were only 204 made, and it sold out completely in 2003. The Cuddle Cart 2, which I'll talk about in uh, detail in a few minutes, came out in 2004. And in 2007, there was Cuddle Cart 3, which is kind of an updated version of the IntelliCart, if you will. The Cuddle Cart 3 was specifically designed to play games from the Intellivision Lives and Intellivision Rocks CDs, and both of those CDs were compilations put out by Intellivision Productions. And if you don't know what's on those things, the Intellivision Lives CD has a handful of original Mattel in um, television games and in television rocks has like third party games. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's what the deal is. And the cuddle cart three was also designed with homebrewers in mind so that they could test out their works in progress. 
and I'm pretty sure the cuddle cart and Intellivision cart would also work with homebrews. But regardless, one big difference between the Cuddle Cart 3 and the IntelliCart is that the Cuddle Cart 3 could load multiple ROMs instead of just one at a time, and it would load those ROMs via a micro SD card. And not only could you put the game ROMs onto the micro SD card, but you could also put digital manuals on there too, provided that they're formatted to 20 characters per line. Also different from the IntelliCart is it does not require a computer to stay connected. Once you transfer the ROM over, the CuddleCart 3 is standalone. The price was $150, and that includes shipping. There was also a CuddleCart 3 package, and the package included not just the CuddleCart 3, but also a micro SD card and a micro SD to SD adapter, which of course nowadays is not very uncommon. You get a micro SD card, you're probably going to get an adapter with it. But anyway, that micro SD card would be formatted complete with the proper menus, so you don't have to use the menu converter utility and a sizable collection of Intellivision ROMs, including some demos, test cartridges, and prototypes. And also there would be manuals preloaded onto the SD card, the micro SD card, as it were, actually. I couldn't find out a price on though. I don't, I don't know how much those, uh, the package cost. As for Shell's electronics, well, all the products are long discontinued. Chad Shell left the retro gaming community uh, several years ago, and you can't even get his website via archive.org. However, you can get a lot of things from the website. Uh, Trevor was kind enough to post a zip file of a lot of relevant uh, documentation from the Chad Shell website, and I'll link to that in the show notes, of course. And uh, for what it's worth, the last time Chad logged on to Atari Age was September 2015, and it's unfortunately doubtful that we're going to get any more products from him, at least in retro gaming. But you know what? Let's go back to the Cuddle Cart 2. Well, Story Cop definitely helps with the ladies. Well, you know, the badge always helps, the gun. The Cuddle Cart 2, well, that was a dream come true for those lucky enough to get it. Uh, this guy talking, uh, not one of those people, unfortunately. It's basically like the Cuddle Cart 3 that I talked about a few minutes ago, but for the Atari 7800. Oh, and it could also run Atari 2600 games. So you could load up and play not only the entire 7800 library, but also the entire 2600 library, including prototypes, homebrews, all that good stuff on one card, uh, of course, only usable in the 7800, that is, even if it's just 2600 ROPs. Oh, the um, exception, of course, was uh, Pitfall 2, uh, for the same reason that I mentioned before. In fact, at the time of the Cuddle Cart 2's release, this was the only game, period, that would not work. Uh, I don't know about the compatibility with homebrews that have come out since, but uh, regardless, it was a pretty, pretty robust little device. As with the Cuddle Cart 3, you could load up manuals too, and there were custom-made menus. Oh, and there was high-score-saving capability on the Cuddle Cart 2. Basically, it was a high-score cartridge too. There was a slot for a pokey chip, and... Uh, Basically, the cartridge would work with homebrews, hacks, works in progress, and um, it also came with a removable 9-pin serial jack for fast loading of uh, works in progress. As for the cartridge itself, it has a dark blue front label with a cuttlefish on it, surrounded by water bubbles, and uh, below the cuttlefish is an Atari 7800 console. The top of the label has Chad Shell's name in white text, 
and below that is the word presents in yellow text. Both of those pieces of text, uh, they kind of look similar to that Bauhaus font that was used on uh, the old Atari 2600 text labels. Then you have the phrase Cuddle Cart 2 in a large yellow bold font that was kind of similar to the Abelard or Abelard uh, font, if you will. Um, very uh, artsy, kind of Middle Eastern looking font. And uh, at the bottom of the label in a yellow sans serif font, it said, For use only on Atari 7800. And below that is a copyright message saying, Copyright 2003, Shells Electronics. And then all rights reserved in all capital letters underneath that. And uh, interestingly, just the copyright 2003 and all rights reserved parts are in the Cooper font, while Shell's Electronics is in Old English. It's uh, kind of a bizarre mixture of fonts on the same line. Regardless, uh, the end of the cartridge has a micro SD slot on the left and a 1/8 inch phono style port on the right that you would connect the serial jack with. The Cuddle Cart 2 had a price tag of $200, and I believe that included shipping. And of course, the Cuddle Cart 2 is long, long, long out of production. Um, it's nearly impossible to find. Good luck finding one. Just to uh, give you an idea of how much you're likely to see it. This was five years ago. Five, year, five years ago from now. November 28th, 2012. A Cuddle Cart 2 sold on eBay for $350. January 31st, 2013, one sold for $300. And on March 27th, 2013, one sold for $325. Wow. So that gives you an idea of how much you would have paid five years ago for this thing. How about more recently? I, I really don't know. I actually did search eBay and didn't find any uh, listings at all, be it sold or unsold. So uh, couldn't tell you there, but it's a pretty expensive device. And uh, that's pretty much all I really have to say right now about the Cuddle Cart 2. I've never used it. I've never seen it. I have no idea what it's like to have one of those things. I imagine it's really, really nice to have one of those. I don't know about the compatibility among different iterations of the 7800. Because I know the 7800 is a strange little beast in that one thing that'll work perfectly on one console might be buggy on another or just plain not work at all. Even if it's from the same, say, style of 7800. So I'm not really sure how compatible the thing was. All I know is just try. Try to take one away from an Atari 7800 user. And, uh, well, hey, don't don't just uh, go with what I have to say. Let's hear what other people have to say about the Cuddle Cart 2. I can has cheeseburger? I made you a cookie, but I eated it. I love this chair. Nobody goes until litter box is clean. I did get some feedback about the Cuddle Cart 2. For example, Drag is back on Atari Age, says, I've had the Cuddle Cart 2 since it came out. It was a pretty ingenious hardware project, and it really gave the 7800 a second life for me, opening up all the games, prototypes, demos, homebrews, and hacks for the system to be played on real hardware. Well thought out interface, too. My only disappointment was that Chad ultimately abandoned support for it. Not sure whether it's by choice or not, but as new bank switch schemes started being used, it wouldn't work well or at all with the games that use them. 
But as far as I'm concerned, it's paid off its value many times over. Thanks, Drac is back. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it would. Oh man, I wonder if anybody bought like say a uh, investment copy just to hold on to because it would inevitably be no longer available at some point. So that would really, really um, pay off its uh, value for someone, I'm sure. Uh, Gambler172 says, the cuddle cart is great and mine is still working. Hey, good. <laughs> I hope it's still working with the uh, cost involved. Sean, S-H-A-W-N, says, CC2, cuddle cart 2, is still the best option, in my opinion, for multi-cart use on the 7800. And, uh... He also had some uh, feedback about Rider of the Night from the previous episode. He says, uh, Rider of the Night had promise at the start, but the final product was pretty disappointing. I just can't get over how short the horizon is while driving. And the graphics are nothing short of horrible. Ouch. Okay. Uh, I will say this. I, I didn't really even think about this much. But yeah, that is an issue, though, that it does have a fairly low horizon in that game which makes it kind of difficult to judge when and where other things on the road are going to be coming at you. So yeah, I hear you there. And I mentioned this last episode too, I think. Uh, Franco Dragon is a very talented uh, artist. He really is. You ever saw any of his uh, any of his works? He's really, really good. He, I, gu I guess maybe just going from, say, ink and paper to 7,800 graphics. It's not an easy transition. That's the only thing I can uh, think about there. Desi V says, still love my cuddle cart too. Still working great. As far as I know, I haven't tested everything, especially homebrews. The only games that I've found that didn't work are Pitfall 2 for the 2600 custom music chip and Bentley Bear Pokey version. No banking file for that memory size and Pokey. As mentioned, the menu system, especially with the updated multi-level menus, works great. Yes, you have to edit a text file and run a program to create or update the menus, but I don't have any issues with that. Yes, you have to figure out which banking file to use with which game, but it's not that difficult and other owners have been great at sharing their menu files. I also love having the game documentation right on the system. I think I read or imagined that Chad lost all the programming information in the system. So unless someone gets really creative, I don't think we'll get any new banking files. That's a shame, but still a great multi-cart. And thank you for that, Desi V. And uh, yeah, that's something I failed to mention. Yeah, the, uh, the menus are custom made. You actually have to design the menus yourself. And there is a utility that lets you design the menus. So uh, if you don't have the patience for that, or if you just plain don't want to deal with that, other people have shared their menu files. So yeah, uh, thank you again, Desi V. And from TrekMD on um, Atari.io, he says, Hello, Sean. I hope all is well. As I write this, I'm recovering from a free gingival graft. Ugh. That is gum surgery where a piece of my palate was taken and implanted in an area I had weak gums. Oh, man. And on a liquid diet. Unfortunately, I had a complication, a dislocated jaw, and that is even more restrictive than the gum surgery itself. I can't wait to have all this healed up so I can have some solid food again. In the meantime, since I can't talk much, I can certainly type feedback for the two games previously covered. I figured out how to run a 7800 MAME emulator and the Cuddle Cart 2. All right, so this is actually, uh, by the way, interrupting my, my feedback here. Um, Eugenio here is covering both Panda Racer and Rider of the Night. 
Oh, and Cuddle Cart 2. So first, Panda Racer. This game was Franco Dragon's attempt at creating a game with gameplay similar to Fatal Run, but with some humor by having a panda be the driver of the car. After all, what is a Franco Dragon game without some sort of humor? Your panda driver controls a car in a city map and has to locate certain markers that'll take him to the race. While in the city map area, you will also run into a zookeeper who's looking to get you back into your cage. If you run into him, you have to fight him and push him to the right of the screen or it's game over. Once you enter the race, you need to avoid the red orbs that fall as they will eliminate your fuel. Do grab the green ones, though, as they will fill your fuel tank. Once you finish the race, you can go back to the city to look for the next marker and do the next race. The game has five cities and races to complete. Panda Racer is a simple game to enjoy. I do not believe it was ever finished, though. The graphics are simple, but have the style of all Franco Dragon's games. The road looks nice, but I wish it were longer into the horizon to give a better sense of depth. Sounds are also rather minimal. Hopefully this gets finished at some point, as it definitely is a cool concept. And I'm going to stop right there and just respond to that little piece of it. And there we go. We have another mention of the horizon. Yeah, the horizon is important. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Clark will do a little bit more work in uh, that regard. And something occurred to me as I was reading this. I was like, man, this sounds like this actually was supposed to be a Knight Rider game that turned into a Panda game, but I don't know. Only Clark would know, but hey, he said that it was the other way around. And speaking of which, let's move on to the next part of Eugenio's feedback, Rider of the Night. With the failed attempt by Atari Age member Hardwork in the creation of a 2600 game based on the TV show Knight Rider, Franco Dragon decided to make an attempt by creating a game for the 7800 using what he had done for Panda Racer as the model. To avoid issues with CBS, though, names were changed in the game. Now the title is Rider of the Night, and the main character is Mike Knight, who must fight the crime and corruption that holds the city hostage. Mike has to drive his car on dangerous roads where red orbs try to steal his fuel and bombs attack him. Mike can grab green orbs to refuel his car and continue on the race until the city is saved. While on the city map area, he must drive around looking for parked cars which represent the gateway to the race. In this area, he will also find semi-trucks where the bad guys are. Mike must fight these guys by pushing them to the right of the screen. If they push Mike to the left, it's game over. The game is very much like Panda Racer, but with different characters. The black car looks really cool, though, and the game itself is pretty nice. It is unfortunate it was not finished. Also, I don't think I have the newest binary, as the enemy cars on mine still drive sideways, and the title screen is different. Sounds are sparse, like Panda Racer, but this has Vox data as well to add voices. The emulator does not play them. This definitely has potential, and I do hope it gets finished at some point. And uh, I'm going to interrupt myself again. Uh, actually, I don't believe the latest ROM has Atari Vox in it. I think it was kind of... Uh, either taken out or just plain uh, the code might have been not used simply because uh, Clark was having issues with that. And, uh, oh yeah, going back to that in Panda Racer, you talked about how a typical Franco Dragon game involves humor. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, this game itself, not, uh, Writer of the Night, it's not really humorous, but the reasoning behind it, the inspiration behind it, obviously, uh, was very humorous. Uh, and getting back to you, Henio, once again. 
Cuddle Cart 2, released in 2004 by Shells Electronics, the Cuddle Cart 2 is one great bit of hardware that lets you play pretty much any 2600 or 7800 game on the Atari 7800 hardware. If you're wondering why it is called the Cuddle Cart 2, that's because there was an original Cuddle Cart that was designed for the Atari 2600. That one required you to use audio files to load the game, much like the Supercharger, but did let you play pretty much all the 2600 games you could find in the right format. With the Cuddle Cart 2, Shells moved away from audio files and allowed the use of binary files stored in a memory card. With the games loaded on the card, you will get a menu from which you select the title to play. Not only does the Cuddle Cart 2 let you play the games, but it also lets you save high scores and it lets you play Supercharger games as well. The latter also became available with the newer Harmony cartridge for the 2600, but was a unique benefit of the Cuddle Cart 2 at the time of launch and for a number of years. This feature is possible on the Cuddle Cart 2 because it allows for bank switching to be used, including the bank switching used on Supercharger games and later titles for both the 2600 and 7800 systems. The only thing the Cuddle Cart 2 did not come with was a pokey chip. However, it did include a socket for it. So if you're lucky enough to have a pokey chip, you can install it and voila, you now have the ability to hear pokey sound. The only thing that I found a bit of a hassle with the Cuddle Cart 2, though, was setting it up for the first time. You see, you need to create a menu.txt file that lists all your binaries. So if you have a lot, there's a lot to add. This is done with the provided utility program included in the CD that came with the Cuddle Cart 2. This file then needs to be converted to a menu.cc2 file that the software on the Cuddle Cart 2 cartridge can then read to give you the listing of all the games. All this is explained on an instruction manual that comes in PDF format within the CD. Remember, though, that this was released in 2004. We are now in 2018, so that means you better have an older computer around with Windows XP 32-bit so you can run the utilities necessary to set up this cart if you are lucky enough to find one nowadays. I actually keep an older laptop with Windows XP just so I can use it with this and similar cartridges for other systems that are about as old and don't like 64-bit operating systems. The Cuddle Cart 2 is really an impressive bit of hardware and definitely worth having. Unfortunately, getting one nowadays costs a pretty penny since these have not been made for a while. Of course, with the new Concerto Cart for the 7800 in development, it will be much easier to have a similar device that will not need setting up with a computer. Nevertheless, this is still what we have available and it works well. Going to the final frontier, gaming... Eugenio. And thank you, Eugenio. You always send some uh, really thoughtful, insightful feedback. And the concerto, man, God knows when that's going to be finished. I know there are a few people who have basically prototype versions of the concerto. And I might have mentioned this before, but the big problem with the concerto is basically compatibility issues from one console to the next. In fact, I think one of my Patreon sponsors, Richard Grounds in particular, I think he has a concerto cart. And I think he found that uh, of the three Atari 7800 consoles in his possession, it only really works reliably on one of them. And I know that there are some compatibility issues. There's always going to be some kind of compatibility issue with the 7800 since uh, there were different revisions of it, so to speak. There's the version that has the expansion port 
there is the version that has a cutout for the expansion port, but not the actual expansion port. And then there's the one that I have, which has neither an expansion port nor a cutout. But sometimes there are certain things in the 7800 that even if you have, say, two different consoles from the same uh, look and feel, I guess, no guarantee everything's going to work exactly the same on both of them. It's just a really hairy situation there. But Eugenio, thank you for taking the time to write, and I really, really hope that you recover very soon and quickly, and I hope you'll be able to enjoy solid food before too long. And uh, that's it with the feedback for this episode. So thank you all who have contributed. George, this is the last straw. You apologize to Homer right now. But, Bar, we can't show any weakness in front of the Russians. George. Wow, I can't believe I've done, what, 34? Well, 35 of these things technically already. It doesn't seem like it's been uh, quite long enough to do that. But hey, that wraps up episode 34 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. And I have a lot of people I need to uh, thank. Of course, thanks to Airshack, Ed Ladin Controllers, Kyle Etter, Jimmy G, Great Defender, Richard Grounds, Paul Steele, and Richard Valdez, thank you all for supporting this podcast financially via patreon.com slash homebrew78. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. I really do appreciate your support. And uh, what else can I say? If you'd like to reach out to me via email, the address is homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And you can go to the show notes page at homebrew78.fab4it.com and fab4it.com is spelled F-A-B number 4 it.com Twitter handle is homebrew78 YouTube channel is homebrew7800 and coming up next episode number 35 wow we have a brand new homebrew Atari 7800 cartridge title that just arrived in my hands not terribly long ago and it is called The Journey of Snail so I'll be talking about that one next week. And in the meantime, please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. Please have a great two weeks. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and of course be good to puppies too, because puppies are wonderful. Bye-bye. And the cuddle cart was an Atari 2600. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me.